All right? It's good either way. So if there's a few distractions along the way, it's all part of what we signed up for. Everybody got it? Cool. We are, as a church, finishing up a series. We've been walking through the book of Habakkuk. Okay? Why don't everybody turn to their neighbor real quick and say, neighbor? We're about to read Habakkuk. That's right. That's how we're saying it here at Parkview East, okay? So a little practice. Everybody can say that word, that name. It's really been an awesome book. Hopefully, I don't know if you guys have read this book, but it's a smaller book tucked back into the minor prophets of the Old Testament. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and Craig will put one in it. Um, and hopefully you guys have enjoyed reading this book. It's really a very, very wonderful, beautiful book. Um, and it's been a joy to be able to teach from it. Um, this morning, we're going to be closing the series by reading and studying chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles out, you can turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. I'm going to go ahead and read the entire passage, and then we will dive right in. So Habakkuk 3, verse 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigiona. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. In your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there... He veiled his power. Before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of cushion in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers? O Lord, was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear. You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of your mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on the high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments. Let's pray. Father God, as we come before you this morning, Lord, I pray that you would remind us that you are a mighty, mighty God. Lord, and we are a people who are in desperate need of your activity in our lives. 
Lord, we consider the ways that you have proven yourself faithful, not just throughout history, but also throughout our lives. Lord, and I pray that you would encourage your saints this morning through your word. Lord, as we enter in these doors and sit in this room together as a people, Lord, we represent a variety of anxieties, of fears, of sorrow, of lament, pain, sickness. Lord, I pray that as we come before you and we hear from you, Lord, that you would renew us. Lord, that you would strengthen us. Lord, that you would make us the faithful people that you have designed us to be. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we believe it to be eternal and true. This morning we ask that you would write it on our hearts. We ask these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I love good music, okay? Good music. Songs, at least the good ones, are essentially an artistic expression of who we are, what is going on inside of us, and the way that we make sense of the world outside of us. Many of the songs that have stood the test of time are songs that have uniquely and wonderfully captured certain human emotions, which for the most part are universally shared. As we come to the end of our study of this wonderful book, the final chapter of Habakkuk, this is exactly what we find here in chapter 3. We find a song. It's a song. It's a prayer song. It's a, a prayer that has been set to music. You see it at the very end there, to the choir master with stringed instruments. This chapter 3, all of chapter 3 is a prayer that has been set to music. Though it is a song that will go on to play an important role in the liturgical life of Israel, what makes it stand out in scripture, specifically stand out in the book of Habakkuk, is how utterly unique it is in these three chapters. Right? The book of Habakkuk is only three chapters long, but if you have been here over the last couple of weeks and have heard the scripture read aloud, this chapter should stand out. It should stand out as being utterly different than the rest of the book. If the book of Habakkuk was a Spotify playlist, which reflected the journey of the prophet, the first song would be something like, I can't get no satisfaction. Or maybe, if you're familiar with Nine Inch Nails, the song Hurt, though not the way Nine Inch Nails sang it, the, the way that Johnny Cash sang it, where you can actually feel the pain, right? The book of Habakkuk starts out like that. But by the end of the book, Habakkuk is singing an entirely different song. Think Maybe celebrate good times. Come on. Hey, maybe cool in the gang, right? The, the, the book of Habakkuk is a journey. We have, we have seen the progression of a man of God. And at the end of the book, Habakkuk is rejoicing. He is filled with joy. Now, my... my my bet is this morning that the way Habakkuk is singing is the way every single one of us want to sing. The song that is reflecting Habakkuk's spiritual and emotional state is something that every single one of us wants to be able to identify with. Where Habakkuk is, quite frankly, is where you and me want to be. Okay? So the question is, I guess before us this morning, how did he get there? How did he, does he get to this place of utter, wonderful joy? Right? If there's many ways that maybe the world around us would suggest, many different paths that the world puts before us that you and I could take to achieve that. 
And if we buy into what the culture says, we will find ourselves searching for joy that cannot be taken away from us in things like our careers, maybe in a certain amount of wealth, the right kind of relationships, if that special someone would just come into my life, then I will be satisfied. Then I will know what true joy is. Maybe even the simple things in life, like a remote control, okay, that we can just sit and watch TV and enjoy. One episode after the next, right? The world has no shortage of alternative paths to joy. The only problem is that if you get on one of those paths, none of them will actually get you to where you want to be. They won't provide you the eternal joy that you and I were made, created to experience. So as we come to this chapter 3, that's the big question before us, is how does Habakkuk get there? Ultimately, and if you remember from last week, we see verse 4 of chapter 2 as really being kind of the central verse of the entire book of Habakkuk. I'll read it for us again real quick. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. In Habakkuk 2, 4, we see that there's ultimately two different ways of living that you can, you can follow. Two different lifestyles you can embrace. You can embrace the lifestyle of being puffed up and proud, ultimately characterized as wicked. And we saw last week what that looks like and how that ends, okay? Ultimately, with the judgment of God. What Habakkuk, what we see in Habakkuk chapter 3 is what the alternative looks like. What a life marked by faith looks like. What living by faith not just looks like, but what it results in. Okay? And so ultimately this morning, what we're going to see is we're going to see how we can stay true to God even during troubling times. How do we stay true to God even in troubling times? times. Ultimately, that's what happens to Habakkuk. That's what we see poured out in chapter 3. And what chapter 3 will be for us this morning, ultimately, it is a model. It serves as a model, a, a, a path, a pattern by which we should follow. Habakkuk was a man who knew no shortage of troubles in his life. As he looked at the community around him, the world around that community, Habakkuk saw pain, he saw misery, and it broke his heart. But ultimately, Habakkuk, at the end of the book, we see that he has remained true to God. What I want to do this morning is I want to focus on three things that we see him do. Remember, he's praying this ultimately to God. I want to take these three kind of images and turn them around as imperatives, as commands, things for us to do, pattern for us to model. So the first thing that we're going to see in chapters, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, is that if we want to stay true to God, even during troubling times, first thing that we should do is we should turn to the God who speaks. See this in verses 1 and 2. Look at verse 2. O Lord, I have heard the report of you. You know, what's unique about this book in all of Scripture, especially among the prophets, is that the other prophets speak from God to the people. What, what Habakkuk ultimately is doing is he is talking to God from, on behalf of, the people. So he's, he's doing it completely opposite how the other prophets do it. From the very beginning of the book, we see it in verse 2 of chapter 1. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you do not hear? Habakkuk is frustrated with God. What is happening is in Judah, among God's people, he sees as being utterly unacceptable. Injustice, violence, oppression of their own people. God's people. And God doesn't seem to care. The problems that he sees happening within Judah don't seem to matter to God at all. He doesn't seem to be doing anything. However, the perceived silence of God doesn't help keep, sorry, doesn't keep Habakkuk from turning to him in his time of need. Even though it appears as though God is just letting it happen, doesn't have anything to say about it, it doesn't stop Habakkuk from bringing his problem to God. He continues to cry out. Even though he's struggling to make sense of the world around him. And how can God, how can you let this injustice happen? How can you sit there 
idly as though the law was paralyzed and useless. Your people don't represent you the way that they should, and you don't do nothing about it. Habakkuk continually calls out to God, do something, God. He hears God's response. But when Habakkuk hears what God has to say about it, the problem is Habakkuk doesn't necessarily agree with it. Right? If you remember, there's all this evil and injustice. Do something, God. God's essential message to Habakkuk is, is I am doing something. I won't tolerate it. I am bringing the Babylonians to judge my people, to discipline. There are a tool in my hand that I'm using to discipline them. Right? But Habakkuk doesn't like that response. Doesn't agree with it. Doesn't understand it. He doesn't honestly quite want to hear it. It didn't make him feel good. What God had to say didn't make Habakkuk feel nice and cozy and safe and secure, right? Judgment was coming to his people by a people who were even more wicked than Judah. So what's Habakkuk's response? He turns to the God who speaks. He complains again. By the end of Habakkuk's second complaint, he assumes his proper place at his watch post where he will wait to see what God will do and what God will have to say. Here at the beginning of chapter 3, Habakkuk tells us, I have heard your report. I've heard your report. Even though he cannot make sense of what is going on around him, notice Habakkuk does not doubt that God will speak to him. He continues to come to God, even though it seems as if God wants nothing to do with what is happening in Judah. He continues to go to him. And after God speaks, Habakkuk asks him three things. Essentially, revive your work, God, reveal it to your people, and remember mercy through it all. Ultimately, he's saying, do what you say you're going to do. Make it known to your people, and while you're doing it, remember your mercy. Essentially what Habakkuk is doing is he is pleading the character of God back to God. He knows God and ultimately what Habakkuk wants is for God to be God. That as he pours out his wrath to remember mercy. To not forget that he is a merciful God. This is how Habakkuk prays and quite honestly folks this is exactly how we should prayer, pray. Pleading the character of God to God. It is essentially the substance of all real prayer. You know, what we see from Habakkuk as he turns to the God who speaks, ultimately is that in all the uncertainty, uncertainties of life, we too need to turn to God and ask him, folks, to be Every single one of us can identify in some way, shape, or form with the position that Habakkuk finds himself in. Evil, wickedness, injustice, oppression, those things are not new to us today, right? They have plagued humanity from the very beginning of time. And they will continue to plague humanity until the Lord comes again and has his final say with all evil and wickedness and puts it to death. As we consider the world around us, the right response is to be broken, right? For the things in this world that are broken. To look in our homes and be broken about the things in our homes and in our lives that are broken. To look in our community and to be broken over the things that represent and plague our community, right? We are sinful people. We live in a sinful, fallen world. And the right response, the right response is not to turn away from God, but to turn to God and expect him to say something about it. Ask that he be who he is, right? Ultimately, that's what our world needs. There's so many other places we can go. And if you're like me, if there's a problem, my temptation, I'm just being honest and open, my temptation when I see brokenness that I'm struggling with in my life is to quickly pick up a phone and call an expert on that situation, on that issue. If there's something that's breaking my heart, 
I want to get advice. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. Guys, but we serve, we have access to, unlimited access to a God who speaks. He is a speaking God. He's a speaking God, right? Creation came into existence because God opened his mouth and spoke a word, right? When his son comes to the earth to save you and me from our sins, he is known as the very word of God. God, the way that sin plagues this world and breaks your heart, guess who's, who else's heart it breaks? God, and he absolutely has something to say about it. He absolutely will do something about it. So as much as you might be tempted to turn away from God in the midst of trouble, in the midst of suffering, when it seems like he hasn't said anything, where he's sitting idly not doing anything, Habakkuk is a beautiful picture, a beautiful model of what it looks like to put our trust in God and even in the midst of silence to continue to turn to a God because we believe he has a word to say. He's a God who speaks. He speaks to us today. When you, some of you hopefully, meet with the Lord, when you open up the Bible and you meet with the Lord, hopefully something that happens on a regular basis, when we crack open this book on a Sunday morning, we are engaging with the creator of the universe who is speaking to us. Speaking to us. Do you expect to hear from him? Right? Or is it a one-way conversation? Is it the kind of thing where you just take your problems, take your burdens, and you heap them up on him and don't expect a response? Folks, you're missing out. The God that we worship this morning, in this room, in this place, is a God who is still speaking. Turn to him and listen. Turn to him. The next thing that we see ultimately in verses 3 and 16 is not just should we turn to a God who speaks, but we should tremble before a God who moves. We should tremble before a God who moves. As you walk through this entire chapter, ultimately... We see that God's character is expressed in two different sort of manifestations. First thing that we see is God's coming. He's a God who comes to his people. We see this ultimately in verses 3 through 7. Habakkuk looks back, looks back in the history of Israel, and he remembers how God has moved throughout history. You would expect to read that God came to his people from heaven as God's people are on earth, the expectation might be that God comes to his people from heaven. However, scholars point out that the geographic location from which God came, you see it in verse 3, God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. This region, this Teman region is in, the, is in the region known as Edom, which is located south of Israel. Referring to the great exodus where God mightily came to his people and who were in bondage and set them free from the strong hand of Pharaoh. Tiny Israel being led away from mighty Egypt in the Sinai wilderness. It's a reminder that God has a track record throughout redemptive history of using some of the most unexpected means to accomplish his most extraordinary purposes. Habakkuk is reminded that as he moves in the most mysterious ways. His covenant relationship with the nation of Israel, using and choosing a people that would shame all the mighty kingdoms of the earth. Right? Of all the people in the world that God could choose as his own and use to display his glories and his splendors to the world, he chooses tiny little Israel. And we see God doing this over and over and over throughout Scripture. Think David and Goliath, right? The unexpected means to accomplish extraordinary purposes. God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And of course, we see this most ultimately in the fact that God would establish his kingdom on earth through a crucified Messiah. The God that we serve is a God who comes to his people. He is absolutely not a God who sits idly at a distance, watches 
from afar. He is a God who is intimately involved with even the things that are the darkest, most broken corners of this earth. God invades. He comes. Habakkuk reflects and he's reminded that throughout history, God is a God who comes. Right? He doesn't sit afar from his people. He moves into their brokenness. He moves into this world. And he moves. He comes to his people. God is a God who comes. The second thing that we see is God is also a God of combat. See this in verses 8 through 15. It describes this sort of cosmic battle. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses in your chariot of salvation? This sort of cosmic battle is before us in verses 8 through 15. Ultimately, we see that God is presented not just as a deliverer of his people, but also as a mighty warrior. His actions should produce fear and awe and trembling from all. All of creation, rivers, mountains, seas, sun and moon will be affected by the Lord's coming. It means salvation for his people will ultimately come through judgment. So God comes not just as a deliverer, but he also comes as a warrior. Of course, if you were to go into Revelation, you would see the picture of Jesus coming as this mighty warrior who will finally put an end to all evilness, all wickedness, and all sin. He will conquer what is broken in this world. He comes to his people and he combats against the wickedness. These images of God bring, should bring comfort to us as they bring comfort to Habakkuk's troubled heart. Because he knows that God is faithful to deliver his people and to defeat his enemies. As he looks back at the way that God has moved throughout history, his conclusion is, is I can rest. I can take comfort. Because God will defeat my enemy and he will deliver his people. His coming and his combat ultimately result for Habakkuk and his salvation. And his response, rightfully so, in verse 16, I hear, he says, and my body trembles. Right? My body trembles. The same should be true for us today, even this morning, as we consider who God is and how he has moved throughout history. The response of Habakkuk should be our response too, as we consider who God is. The way that he acts and is involved in creation. Our response should be to tremble in fear and in awe of this mighty warrior king. Of course, we see the ultimate manifestation of God as deliverer and warrior come together in the person and in the work of Jesus himself. Tremble before the God who moves. Last thing we see in verses 17 through 18 should turn to the God who speaks, tremble for the God who moves. Lastly, we should take joy in the God who saves. The book comes to an end. If anybody is familiar with Habakkuk chapter 3, my guess is you are most familiar with these final three verses. It comes to an end with this poetic, one of the most poetic and most powerful expressions of faith in all of Scripture. Habakkuk's cry has been heard by God himself. His perspective has been radically altered. Grace has been extended. And as he reflects, he can see God at work. He's comforted. He's overjoyed because ultimately he recognized that even though it seems as though God is not at work, God has not forgotten Judah was an agrarian economy. Economy and life ultimately would have been built around the crops like figs, grapes, and olives, as well as livestock like sheep, goats, and cattle. The absence, I'm going to read it real quick again so we can kind of let the words sink in a little bit. Verse 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail. And the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy 
and the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes me, he makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Folks, the absence of fruit on the vines, the absence of crop in the fields, the absence of cattle in the stall or sheep, ultimately would mean the destruction of their economy and an end to the, their means of life. It would mean the destruction of their entire way of life and ultimately would lead to a depression in the people. And with the impending doom that Habakkuk had just heard was coming his way and by way of the Babylonians, for him and his people, it was not a matter of if, it was a matter of when. This powerful pronouncement of faith and devotion comes on the heels of hearing that in Habakkuk's life, things were going to go from bad to worse. These words can easily be uttered when the vines are loaded with grapes, right? When there is no shortage of figs on the tree and when the stall is filled with cattle. Who couldn't say, praise God from where salvation comes, right? When everything is going your way. Who couldn't do that? We see it today. Odds are even in moments in our life, we could probably recognize where the Lord seems to be pouring out abundant grace and mercy and our response should be, thank you, God. You are awesome. You are awesome. This type of prayer can easily be uttered when things are going your way. But how about when nothing is going your way? Would these be the words that would be coming off of your lips or the prayer that would be coming from your heart? When your relationships are strained and struggled, would this be your prayer? When finances are scarce, Funds insufficient. Instead of comfort and health, your life is marked by suffering and pain. But this is his prayer in those moments. When he considers the darkness that is around him, Habakkuk comes to a place at the end of the book where he is able to say, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Nothing is going my way. Everything is going to be stripped from me. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Habakkuk understands a critical, critical principle that my prayer is that you and I would take hold of to even this morning. That even though all these things might fail, ultimately... His existence, Habakkuk's existence, is not based on those things, but on their source, on God himself. His joy is not bound up in how many figs are on the tree, right? Or how many dollars are in the bank account. His joy is not bound up in how many options he has before him when he walks into a supermarket. Or how many times he can go on Amazon and just purchase and purchase and purchase and purchase. His joy isn't bound up on the things that he has, right? But in the person who provides it. His joy comes from the Lord. If all of those things were to be stripped away from him, he still rejoices. He will always have the one that matters the most, even in the midst of doubt and oppression, Habakkuk is able to rejoice. Now, I don't know about you, but I want some of that in my life, right? Because when we see those things go, relationships burdened, finances, where are they? Career terminated. When we look at pain and sorrow, suffering and death, our temptation is to abandon hope, 
Habakkuk's hope and faith is strengthened. His resolve, folks. He doesn't abandon the God who he seems to think at the beginning of the book isn't listening. Instead, he brings his problems to him. He turns to him, expects to hear from him. He trembles as he considers and recounts his faithfulness to him. And he takes joy because he knows ultimately his salvation comes not from the things of this world, but from God himself. Sounds a lot like David in Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Habakkuk's one thing. That if this one thing is taken away from him, he will give up hope. That one thing for him, folks, is God. It's God. And it should be for us too. And that should bring a tremendous amount of relief, right? Because I don't know what's coming tomorrow. I don't know about you, if you guys got a secret, I have no idea what's in store for tomorrow. Things could change in a blink of an eye for any one of us. Any one of us. But when your joy, when your life is bound up in the one thing, the one person that will never change, folks, that's the place I want to be, right? This was a, a passage for, for me. I, quite honestly, man, I was so excited just when we went, decided to go through the book because Habakkuk chapter 3 was just it's a really special passage for me. For me and my wife, when we got married, these verses were the verses that we had read at our wedding ceremony. And it was a commitment that we made to one another that our love for each other, our love for the Lord was not going to be contingent upon how many resources we had, what kind of career or family we did or didn't have. It wasn't going to be contingent. Our commitment to the Lord, our commitment to each other was not going to be contingent and how life kind of plays out, right? That no matter how life played out, we were going to be steadfast to the Lord. Now, I'll be the first to say, that's a really easy commitment to make when you're standing, making vows to one another, like the happiest day of your life, right? It's a very easy commitment, very easy words to read and say yes and amen, right? I will rejoice, right? You're supposed to rejoice. It's your wedding day, right? But how about when life takes turn that you did not expect? How about when illness comes in that you hadn't planned for? The career that you had banked your life on changes. No more. How about then? For us, there were two times when we stood up. This was the third time. Two times that we stood up and I read this verse before even some of you. The first time was at our wedding, and the second time was when we lost our little girl, Lila. Right? And what's interesting about that for me is it did not minimize the grief or the sorrow or the pain. It didn't make it go away. Right? What God is not saying in this passage is, Habakkuk, get over it. Right? There's pain and brokenness and suffering in the world. Come on, move along. That's not what he's saying. Right? Habakkuk does not start in chapter 3. He, he does not start there. All of his life is not just sitting right there. He doesn't mean he cannot feel brokenness and pain and suffering. Those emotions are real. And I believe they are meant to drive us closer to God, not further from God. Right? He doesn't start in chapter 3. He starts complaining. He starts, he's broken. He's discouraged. He considers the world around him. And he wants nothing to do with it. But by the end of the book, he has brought his burdens to the Lord. He has heard from him. He trembles before him. At the end of the book, he comes to a place where he can say, yet I rejoice. God, I remember now, nobody will take you from me. Other things, people, materials, money, they can come and go, but nobody can take you from me. And the response, joy. 
joy. Habakkuk knows salvation. I just want to leave us with a couple of things practically from this book. First thing, just real practical in this chapter. This is a song. This is a song, okay? It's a song, like I said at the beginning, that would go on and play an important part in the liturgical life of Israel. It's a beautiful song. It's a beautiful song, right? And as we are a people, the Bible, one of the things the Bible commands us to do when we gather as a church on the Lord's day is to sing songs. So practically speaking, this might seem weird, but it actually is very practical. Practically speaking, we want to sing good songs. We want to sing good songs. We want to sing songs that tell of the wonderful things that God has done. Of the wonderful things he's done throughout creation, throughout eternity, throughout our lives. We want to sing good songs because songs have a way of shaping us, of teaching us, of forming our beliefs and our understandings of who God is in the world around us. So as a people, we want to be committed to singing good songs. Quite honestly, it's one of the reasons why, uh, it's one of the reasons why I don't listen to a lot of Christian radio, okay? Because a lot of Christian radio just talks about, and some, a lot of it's great, a lot of it's really, really good, don't get me wrong, okay? But a lot of Christian radio just stays in Habakkuk 3, you know? And it's like, there's a whole other aspect of life that is happening here, right? That we need to experience and understand. How do we navigate, right? You know, there's a lot of good Christian songs out there that are, you know, they're, they might have a good tune. They might engage you and sound really good. But when you think about what's being said, you've got to be careful, right? So as a people, let's commit to singing good songs. If we're parents raising kids, let's put songs before our children that will help them think through how to perceive the world. How to, how to understand what is happening around us. And more importantly, how do we understand who God is and what he has done? Let's as a church commit to singing good songs. Number two, let's have a commitment to be real with each other. Okay? There is a temptation when you go to a church on a Sunday morning that doesn't allow, that, you know, just maybe I shouldn't say a temptation, there's a culture where for whatever reason, we think that the church is not the place that we go to for things like doubts, or confusion, or struggles, or sorrow, or pain. When we walk in these doors, the temptation is to put on a smile and act like it's Habakkuk 3 all day, every day, right? That there aren't things that are broken, not just in the world, but in your heart and life as well. Folks, he got to chapter 3 by starting in chapter 1. Let's be a people who commit to being real with one another and before God, right? If there are questions you have, I love the fact that sometimes at the end of the message, there'll be people who will come up to me and will ask me a question. Maybe, maybe a little bit of a disagreement, right? I love the fact that together we can process what God is saying for the sake of getting clear, clarity and truth, right? This should be a place that we can come with our brokenness, with our burdens, with our temptations, with our doubts and our questions. Be real with one another. And the third commitment is let's remember God's faithfulness. Now, I'll just be real honest. You know, one of the things that we've seen as a people here at Parkview East is we've seen a lot of folks move. I don't know if you've noticed, but we've got a lot of different people up here on stage, right? And one of the things I've been so encouraged is that, my goodness, like as we just reflect, like God has been doing such an amazing work in this church, through these people, in this community. And every now and then... I can get so bogged down on what's right in front of me, I can forget on where I came from, right? And ultimately where God has taken me. And the same should be true for you as well. If we remember God's faithfulness to us, the only rightful response is for us to be encouraged in our faith. He's a God who speaks. He's a God who moves. He is faithful to us. We should remain faithful to him. Folks, remember God's goodness in your life. Write it down. Encourage each other with how faithful God has been. Okay? Habakkuk is a wonderful, wonderful book. It's a wonderful book. I'm glad that we're a church that embraces the whole Bible, right? The Old Testament and the New Testament, and we can preach Jesus and all of it, and we should, right? 
It can be real tempting to jump right into the New Testament even in your quiet time and just stay right there. But my goodness, when you do that, you miss out on the full counsel of God and all of what he has to say. Let me go ahead and pray for us and then we will close in worshiping the God that we take a tremendous amount of joy in because he's a God who saves. Let's pray. Would you stand with me? Father God, as we come now just to the end of our service, Lord, we are reminded, Lord, of how you move in history, how you moved in our hearts and in our lives, Lord. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to not forget. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who hears. Your ear is not dull and your arm is not short, Lord, but you hear us. And you're able to move and come to us, Lord, and save us. We thank you for that. Lord, I thank you for your servant Habakkuk, Lord. I thank you for just the, the journey that he went on, Lord, and just the, the lesson that we can learn from him, Lord. And I pray, I pray that where he ended that book, Lord, would be where we would come to now in the service, Lord, that we would be able to understand, Lord, just the need and the, the joy what it looks like to stay true to you, Lord, even in the midst of troubling times. Lord, we love you, Lord, and we are desperate, desperate need of you, Lord. Lord, I pray even just for the week ahead. Lord, none of us know what waits for us as we walk out these doors. But one thing we do know, no one can take the greatest joy from us, Lord. And so I pray that you would be our greatest joy, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen.
good church. It's a great example. That song, my kids, we sing it all the time now. Why? Because we started singing here every Sunday at church. And so we'll have great moments in the car, and I'll just start humming the tune a little bit, and the kids will just jump right in and carry the tune. It's a really beautiful thing. So, If you are new, again, I want to welcome you guys. On your bulletins, there's a little tear-off connect card. Um, there's a blue box in the back. We'd love to get to know you. Um, we, like I said at the beginning, we are a family, um, and it's hard to be a family with folks you don't know. And so if you're new, I'd love to be able to connect with you and invite you to fill that out and drop it in that blue box. Also, if you brought a tithe, if you brought a gift, if you call Parkview East home and you have a commitment that you have made, you can drop it in that blue box as well. One last thing is a couple of weeks ago, there was a, looks like, valuable piece of jewelry that was found out here on a Sunday. So if you're missing something, um, we have something, okay? Let me know, all right? Um, block party last night, I heard was... It was good? Thumbs up? Good time? Awesome. There's going to be more opportunities to get in the community and to be able to meet our neighbors um, as the summer goes on. So I invite you to be looking out for those. Now, um, church, uh, may the grace of our Lord Jesus, may the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you as you go. We will see you next week. <laughs>